Hey, everybody, and welcome to the PayCLT Payments Hub podcast. I'm your host, Scott Harkey, and this is the podcast that takes a deep dive on topics from our PayCLT speaker series and adds in additional industry perspectives to explore the topic further. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. We are excited to have Keith Riddle, the America's CEO of Bankify. Hey, Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Scott. Good to see you again. You as well. Always great to talk to you. Um, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about Bankify and what you guys are doing, but also give people a little bit more of an intro to um, some of the positioning that you have in the market and some of the ways you're thinking about how to really grow the open banking, open finance space. So it's going to be a good conversation. But to start out, why don't you help by telling people a little bit more about what Bankify does uh, and kind of your role here in the Americas? Yeah, great. Thanks. So Bankify, what we do, we provide an embedded banking suite through the financial institution vertical that allows them to better serve their small and medium businesses. And that suite involves things where they can collect payments faster, make supplier payments, look at cash flow forecasting, or it can be sort of a separation or a bundle within that, that product grouping. Uh, so uh, that's what we do and work with the financial institutions to embed that within their digital channel so that they can pull those SMBs and extend the relationship they have with them. Uh, but also we embed third-party services into that platform. So that's what we say it's embedded banking, but not really as you may know it today. Uh, so my role within Bankify is the CEO of the Americas. So I'm responsible for solution strategy and distribution. And then we have a couple other resources, a CTO, as well as a product and, and partner manager. Uh, within the U.S. as well that's helping us to proceed a, a, along that strategy. Awesome. And there's two things in that that, that just to highlight up front. Um, one is the the U.K. kind of background and then the, you know, how that's moved over into the Americas. So I'd love to hear more about that and just some of the history there. I think the other thing that stood out is, is just in the positioning around go to market and being targeted at helping banks bring these services to their customers. Uh, you know, so many times when we talk to fintechs or we talk to technology companies that are building services in this space, I feel like uh, there's, there's often the desire to go straight to the business. You know, it's, it's the anti-bank strategy, right? Let's let's forget the banks. Let's go build around them. So I, I'm really I'm really interested in kind of the go to market around that and some of the thought process that led to that decision to go to market that way. Absolutely. So that starts with our founder, Mark Hartley who has a strong background, not only in financial institutions, but in payments. So he worked for clear to pay and actually was part of a, enabling and founding that open payment framework that they would provide to financial institutions. So he had a very strong background in that. And when that was sold to FIS and he was in a, a process of understanding what he may want to do next, he had this strong understanding on the financial institution background and began to work in consultation with some of those FIs on their, their strategies for digital enablement and support of these business clients. And the SMB vertical just stood out as something that was a high degree of focus for those financial institutions. There are about 5 million SMBs in the UK, certainly many more here, close to 32 or 33 million in the US. But what he was able to uncover is that these SMBs were encountering challenges in getting paid at a more efficient way and faster and also automating all of the exchange of data that happens when you're issuing an invoice and then you're recording that payment back into the system of record, which for most SMBs are an accounting platform. So he was able to take those learnings and begin to work with a leading financial institution in the UK, Cooperative Bank, as well as another uh, one in the UK, TSB, 
to develop some purpose-built solutions based upon getting SMBs paid faster, as well as automating that data exchange and providing them the analysis or insight as to how their business was performing. So that was the foundation of what became Bankify in the UK. And now we're extending into North America with even a broader set of tools. Got it. And yeah, it certainly makes sense given the market opportunity in the U.S. Uh, to put some focus on driving it here. And, and um, it's great, great to see your role and just general the, you know, putting that level of leadership over driving that effort. Um, I also I, I like the I like the focus on SMBs and kind of the logic behind that. That's certainly a part of the banking experiences, the, the experience that's been left behind to some degree, right? You've got a combination of, for especially for a lot of large banks, the the small businesses getting wrapped up in the consumer experience a lot of times, right? Where they're they're not necessarily segregated out in the user base as being a separate entity from the underlying, uh, you know, owner and, and kind of their account. Um, what are some of the other parts of the the small business segment in particular that are either challenging for banks or challenging for banks to serve that you guys are helping solve for? I think we're, we're filling that void in what we call financial management workflows within the digital channel that traditionally, to your point, aren't in a retail or consumer-based platform. And, and they may be more complex in a commercial banking or treasury management platform. So these SMBs are worried about how they're going to get paid and all the processes to get an accounts receivable booked as well as to make the payments and getting their suppliers paid. And again, having a sense of how they're performing. So those traditionally are the top experiences that these SMBs have indicated in very recent studies. They want to have cash flow forecasting. They want to have a better payments experience. They want to be able to connect all their operating accounts. Several studies indicate that north of 75% of these SMBs have two or more financial institution accounts. Whether it's because of digital deficiencies or other purposes, it really doesn't matter. Giving them the holistic view where they can look at all the operating accounts, all the receivables, payables, and have a, a financial platform that creates wellness for them and the ability to deepen relationships with their FIs, who are their trusted agent. It's just they're deficient on those solutions today outside of that retail vertical, but that bridge into maybe those that grow into a commercial banking type of relationship. That makes sense. And I know one of the things we've talked about before is just how, you know, a lot of the opportunity that third parties like of Shopify or, or, you know, any other kind of intermediary that is maybe doing part of something for a small business, you know, they, they move more and more into other parts of the business and services they can offer Stripe and, you know, everybody else. Um, and how that's a real threat to the banks, right? In, in terms of kind of stealing away some of those interactions with the bank's customers. Um, how, how, do, how do you guys help the banks drive or, or maintain the customer relationship inside the bank as opposed to it getting picked off almost by some of these third parties? Yeah, great question. And that is the driving concern, especially in some of the larger financial institutions where we've had discussions. They know these non-banks, whether it is Stripe or Square or the Amazons or the Shopify's or even QuickBooks and what they've done to extend payment functionality and extend their product ecosystems. Each of those is an example where they're leveraging some sort of core functionality to then extend products into their ecosystem. In Shopify, to that point, they extended, I believe, $400 million in lending last year. And certainly Amazon has a merchant cash advance. And then you have the other parties that are leveraging payments and extending those solutions. So often it's educational to look at what is the degree of how, how pervasive is that in your customer base? 
you can do some pretty quick data analytics to understand the QuickBooks subscriptions and PayPal and Venmo activity and Square activity to understand how pervasive these are. And it's not a surprise to the FIs, but I think that we are educating to say that instead of that small business, looking at that smattering of, of, I'll call them business services ecosystem and trying to manage that on their own, you having access to these workflows embedded within your digital channel, financial institution, allows you to put those eyeballs, the experience back within you without foregoing the fact that we can get all that data from their accounting platform. So that is the most critical aspect. I've got a ledger. It's got a lot of data on it. How do I bring that into an experience and then get a broader perspective of how I'm operating and working with my financial institution? So it's, it's, a, it's a great thing in that we're bringing it back into the FI, but also making them aware if you don't take action, these non-bank ecosystems continue to extend. Yeah, it's almost like if the you can view it as both an offensive and a defensive move, right? Like it, you can you can develop the value or create the value through the product for uh, the end customers, the small businesses, and certainly use that to to drive revenue opportunities. But also, it can be you know you can view it from purely the defensive angle of we got to hold we need to be able to hold on to our existing customers and sure they don't go away. Um, whenever, whenever you're working with financial institutions that are either are customers or thinking about customers, how do you find that they're, um, how are they creating the business case around, around something like this? How, how do they, I'm thinking of like, if I'm a financial institution, I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, oh, that sounds great. But like, we don't, we don't have the money to invest in that. Like, how do, how do you kind of help them get their heads wrapped around the business case or the way they should at least frame the thinking about how to, how to leverage something like this? Yeah, and I think the last point you just referenced about retention is a very important factor for these financial institutions because they know they're beginning to see runoff and going to the non-bank providers, perhaps as financial services providers in a primary sense. So we talk about retention or being able to, to service those that you have. On the growth side, there's an opportunity. What are your growth goals? And if you don't have these tools available within your platform, are you going to be able to really... Um, achieve those growth goals uh, without these these uh, value-added offerings in place. And the last part is when you look at, there is some deposit spread. I mean, I know deposits are in vogue now. There's a lot of deposit activity occurring within some larger uh, institutions. But the other aspect is looking at what can potentially occur with this intelligence data that we're going to provide to them and the activities that are occurring within the platform to provide lending opportunities, whether it's a traditional line of credit or it's invoice factoring or lending or other services that can help this this financial counseling aspect because that's what the SMBs are looking for the most. They're looking for how are you going to help me to make my business successful? And 75% of them have said, I'll give you non-FICO data that are traditionally underwriting data to help me get that liquidity, to help me understand what I need to do to perform better. So I think it's retention, it's leveraging the opportunity for growth and outreach to acquire these new SMBs. And then the final part is how do you take the data and identify the next next product or insights or financial counseling for them? Are you finding that many FIs are ready for that data component? I, I feel like that's a conversation that you know when we talk to the, the, our clients, everybody wants to be there, right? Like everybody sees the value of it and sees the opportunity in leveraging data, both, both, you know, in an analysis way of helping to determine, you know, uh, what may be the best kind of product for a customer or the outcome for a customer, but also in a proactive way of identifying 
you know, how you can help the customer. But we see we see less FIs that are there yet in terms of being able to actually operationalize the data into business processes. What about you? What have you seen in terms of where, where most FIs are on that journey? I think it's an interesting point because there are a lot of institutions that say, well, what kind of data can we get access to? And we make a very robust portfolio of data available to them. I think they also have to determine how they're going to be able to consume that to make it a, um, a, a practical process for them to identify, to your point, the next best product, or what are we going to do to execute upon that data that we're enabling? So I think there there are those that perhaps are slightly ahead, and they want to be able to take the data that we provide maybe on the receivables and the payable side and about the SMB and leverage that for enhanced underwriting, or to at least populate that into platforms where they gain a better understanding over time of that SMB. Uh, but, but right now, I think the marketplace is between having access to the data and how they're going to package and make that executable for their bank and the SMB, because they also want to provide notifications and insight to those SMBs about their activity, whether it's cash flow forecasting or other scenarios. So I think there is that data component, and that's been a longstanding aspect within our industry, as you know. Uh, but now how do we package it or make it appropriately uh, consumable so they can take action? Right, right. Okay. Um, well, to, to pivot a little bit, thank you, thinking about the the thing that's in the news for all of us, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten asked a lot of questions about it, as have I, and everybody's got an opinion about uh, the impact and in general of what it means or what it doesn't mean. But when we think about what happened with SVB and more, just more broadly, the, the things that maybe it caused financial institutions to focus on or look at or to prioritize that maybe they weren't before, have you seen an immediate impact to the thinking? Does it feel like, you know, that that was, again, more in just the, the perception or the, the way people kind of think or engage in the, in the, the, the you interact with? Um, or is it, it kind of, well, no, that was over there and that's got nothing to do with us. So we're just BAU. How, how have you seen it impact things, if at all, for, for the companies that you're working with or speaking to? I think it's impacted the uh, the different segments probably in a different way. So if you look at the larger financial institutions, they've had a significant influx of deposits, as as you all know. So they're trying to make sure that they can appropriately size those deposits and how are they going to act upon all that new activity that they're getting in and making that purposeful in terms of funds that are coming into the, the bank. I think on the community FI side is probably when there's been the, the highest degree of, of response or action. And what I believe they're attempting to do is to differentiate themselves from the SBB because SBB, as we know, wasn't your traditional. Uh, they even were labeled a community FI in one of the articles I read, and they're far from a community FI. I think they served a specific, specific vertical or community, but they weren't really a community FI. So I would say that the community FIs are trying to reinforce their commitment to the community, their soundness their uh, offering in terms of how they're going to help these SMBs grow and, uh, and prosper. But at the same time, I think they're also marketing the fact they're not like the SVBs or the signature banks or others that have a very uh, unique business. Um, and also we're taking on some risk, it seems, uh, that we're well beyond the thresholds of what most traditional financial institutions that operate within a community and have consumers and businesses and what they're doing to help those prosper do. So I think that's that's where I've seen most of the interaction. I know the associations, both on the banking and even the credit union side, have become pretty active in, in reinforcing their uniqueness and where they're truly committed 
and differentiating between the uh, the SVB and Signature Bank scenario. And do you see that having any impact any impact on your business or how how Bankify positions itself for those institutions? I think it's a positive impact because those institutions that may have been uh, evaluating services that could help them to extend it to the business community to reinforce their commitment and also look at new models where if maybe they're pursuing things with banking as a service or other models where it could be deployed. So we're actually, I think it's enhanced the level of conversation and understanding how they could deploy that and how they could extend it into other models so that they could take advantage of their uniqueness and their commitment to a community or segment or, or even an, a larger FI. It's, it's accelerated some of the conversations. So I, I think it's been with every change becomes an opportunity. It's been an opportunity for us to, to reinforce the value we can provide to the FI and they can provide to their business community. That's great. That's great. And I think just anecdotally, some of the conversations I've had and things I've heard have been uh, very similar in terms of, you know, most most financial institutions I've spoken to, it's not had a major impact on their uh, strategies or their desire to execute the more strategic things they're trying to do. To a large degree, it's it's BAU, if not um, just accelerating that that need to ensure they're competitive, ensure they're differentiating those sorts of things. So certainly seems like, you know, probably a little bit TBD still to see if there's a broader ripple impact, but certainly hearing very similar things of, um, you know, most financial institutions kind of continuing to, to plow ahead with in, ensuring they're providing their customers the, you know, what their customers are looking for in those experiences. You know, one, one other thing, maybe maybe to close us out today that I think is worth highlighting, just given the way that you defined uh, Bankify and, and what you guys do and the the vagueness of the terms in the market. Let's focus a little bit on just the open banking, open finance, banking as a service. We'll start with, I, I've heard you say it, but I'll ask it as an explicit question. H- how do you categorize what Bankify does? Which, which of those descriptors do you align to? Yeah, interesting question because we, we position ourselves around an embedded banking suite but we don't want to be pigeonholed into that we're an embedded banking suite for BAS or banking as a service, or we're embedded banking suite really focused on embedded payments or open finance. What we are is an open platform, and we have a set of unified experiences that we're going to extend into the models that the financial institution clients want to pursue or the partners are pursuing. And some of those financial institutions, as you well know, are very active with a banking as a service strategy and embedded finance and are extending functionality to, from embedded payments. Others are more centric to the traditional, I call it traditional for the purpose of this conversation, enhancement to their digital platform they have today and embedding additional functionality. And then others uh, and partners are looking at here's the traditional, but we're also moving to a more open framework that emulates open banking over time. So I think we're going to be uh, we're in a great position because we can extend into each of those uh, models and also configure our solution uniquely for each of those models. Some banks want to maybe uh, maybe just accounts receivable and payable inside an embedded banking service that they deliver out for embedded finance, where that may be different from what they enable within their own digital channel. So I think that's where we're making the delineation. We're, we're not trying to say this one's going to prosper versus this one. It's an open framework that can be applied to those strategies that evolve for a financial institution. I think that's been very well received by the institutions that we've engaged. 
Right. I love that answer because I completely followed you. And I'm just imagining like the person who's not used to hearing these terms, though, is like, what did he just say? Like, he said <laughs> open banking, finance, yeah. embedded, like, what is all that nonsense? Uh, but no, it makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, do you, do you think that uh, do you think that the industry needs more clarity in those models and, and what they mean? Or do you think we're just in this phase where who cares, right? It'll sort itself out. Well, I, I think there needs to be greater clarity. And I've, I've seen even the term embedded financial services, which probably makes the most sense because the others are more models under a broader umbrella of embedded services. So I, th- I think the, the marketplace will evolve to that point. But right now we have so many terms have been placed out there, including embedded fintech and banking as a platform. I mean, there are so many terms that we love to initiate as an industry. And I think all of them will roll up into some degree of an embedded strategy and a distribution effort for financial institutions and companies and providers alike, and all working within a, a broad ecosystem. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. All right, Keith, the last question I'll ask you, what, what is the, what is on the, the horizon or what is the future we should be looking for to uh, either in, in services that you guys are providing in terms of, you know, what, what experience does that enable or what, what is the, the next wave of, of innovation or things we can look at in your space? But what, what give us a, a future aspiration. Yeah, I think the future state, and, and I think it's hopefully in the near term, that institutions are constantly looking at what are use cases associated with this immediate payment phenomenon that's growing pretty rapidly now within the U.S. So we've had the RTP network out there for five years. I know the penetration and activity there. And then you've got FedNow that's going to be rolling in in the June, July timeline. And they're going to be looking for use cases they can immediately enable for their business clients. And I don't think there's a better use case than be able to make a payment immediately if you're an SMB to, to hold on to that liquidity as long as possible. But I, in my opinion, I think the next level of innovation has got to be that bridge between the retail bank and the business side of the bank in creating a, a connection and experiences where that becomes an immediate exchange of invoicing data and payment and additional value for those things that have been communicated upon that, that uh, path. So hopefully that's going to be the next degree of innovation. Then we can all understand the availability of data or enhanced data uh, per our conversation earlier that it's a byproduct of that. So that's my hope. And that's where we're focusing and looking at enabling those services. And then uh, additional categories of, of lending and what that means and the opportunity to really grow revenue dynamically within a, a, a open framework, I think is going to be exciting as well. But hopefully real-time payments is the next paradigm that creates opportunity for both sides of the equation. I like it. You're speaking right to my payments heart. To- totally agree with you. And uh, we'll also be excited to see that continue to, to open up new opportunities in the market. So fantastic. All right. Well, that that wrap up wraps up this episode of the PayCLT Payments Hub. want to thank you, Keith, for being here today. Where can people learn more about you and Bankify? Sure. Uh, Bankify.com about Bankify. And then certainly you can look at my profile on LinkedIn. And uh, if you want to reach out, feel free to do so. And uh, we constantly issue new uh, content. So uh, that that's a place to check us out. And we really appreciate you, Scott, and all the Pay Charlotte team and working with us and allowing us to communicate our stories. So thanks for the, the podcast opportunity as well.
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Keith. And thanks again for being here. All right. Well, thank you all the listeners. Thank you for listening. If you've liked what you heard, please be sure and subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. Also helps us if you will give us any feedback, let us know what you like, what you don't like, and we will adjust as we go. Thanks everybody. And we will talk to you next time. Hey, Payments listeners, it's Nick Williams, the producer of the Payments Hub podcast, alongside the phenomenal production crew of Nate Deacon and Chris Webster. This episode may be over, but check out the episode notes for links to the resources mentioned in our podcast. And thank you so much for listening today.